Welcome to UC Science Radio, where we interview a range of postgrad students to tune into the fresh voices entering the world of science and learn what sparked their passion. I'm Molly McGid, a master's student in the School of Biological Sciences. Today, I'm talking with David Garcia. He's a PhD student studying geospatial science. His research is in ethnography of crowdsourcing and map making. He's also the founder of the Ministry of Mapping, a geospatial map making collective that does crisis mapping. And most recently, they used crowdsourcing to map the location, treatment capacity, and resource needs for healthcare centers in the Philippines. Kia ora, David. Welcome to UC Science Radio. Kia ora and kumusta. Thanks for having me here. So you're studying geospatial science, but specifically, what's your research about? The focus is about the latest trend in the production of geographic knowledge, which is more digital, more networked, in our case, popularly known as crowdsourcing. If you look at Wikipedia, there's a version of that in the mapping world called OpenStreetMap. And let's say you're opening Facebook for delivery to your house or for government agencies responding to major crises. OpenStreetMap is usually there. People see it as the rival of Google Maps. And for a good reason, because OpenStreetMap has democratized the access to the production of maps and digital mapping. So I am studying the people who are making OpenStreetMap. That's why I chose an ethnography and more dealing with the nature of the production of geographic knowledge. When I looked around and read the literature and also did lots of reflections, I noticed that map makers are people too. Also, I chose this approach because for the past hundreds of years, people like me from marginalized backgrounds, we have been studied by anthropologists, our tribes, our peoples. And I said, maybe you should flip the gaze. If before ethnography and cartography had been used to study my peoples, our peoples from the so-called developing world, how about using ethnography to study the cartographers who are people too? And... Also, my work recently has turned a bit into decolonial work because I also noticed there's a serious problem about racism and sexism in the mapping industry. Centuries ago, the people who made the maps were usually white guys. (laughs) And unfortunately, this is a problem in science in general. You know, that image of the white man going exploring, save the world, the desire is still there. So I also tried to push back against that and also recognize that I am part of the problem because I should have been more aware of these a long time ago. And then I said, oh God, I need to change the messages that I've been saying about what mapping is and what's important. As a crisis mapper, let's say there's a cyclone and then the locals are, you know, need to fight for food and water. That kind of ethic of following the natives and locals and indigenous peoples is suspended by the international organizations out of the assumption that, oh, we need to save them. And we forget to make sure that the process of responding builds the capacity of the peoples. Don't try to assume that you know what's best for them because they know the place better than we do. So that's what I'm trying to understand, the nature of the production of geographic knowledge in today's digital age. So is it similar to Wikipedia, where they're just people who are adding this information without payment? And then what are some of those demographic characteristics that may lead to biases in these map banking communities? Who makes these maps? People like us in general, volunteers. Some of my folks are paid, some are not. Mostly it's not paid. It's like Wikipedia too, very, very similar. 
citizens, activists, humanitarians, business people, entrepreneurs, government officials. And for me, that's a fascinating part because historically, the production of the maps in the Western sense, the Western cartography, has been in the hands of the few, usually with the government. And due to the latest technologies, there's more opportunities for ordinary people, citizens, to contribute and make our own maps and edit the maps and determine what the maps are for and correct maps, teach others to map. Because there are many possible lives in the world, there are many possible maps too. Which leads me to the biases. I've been thinking about that too because it's a strong tradition in geospatial science to measure the accuracy and error. And that is helpful, but there are many kinds of maps in the world. And it's unfortunate that because the people who needed it before, that really benefited them. Like a military, if you bomb a place, you need a precise dot. But you know, for the everyday individual who just wants to go to a shop, you don't really need very precise data about that. Just the name and where's the street, etc. I'll give an example. Before, in OpenStreetMap, folks were only interested in buildings and roads. But... That's not the only reality in the world. So my friends have been saying, hey, let's also map safe spaces for LGBT communities. That has to be on the map. Or let's have safe spaces for women who suffered violence from their partners. Where can they go? What I've learned from the OpenStreetMap community is because we have different needs. And we have different measures of what counts as geographic truth, what is real on the ground. And for me, that's the amazing part. And you helped to found the Ministry of Mapping, and that focuses on crisis mapping. So what was that process like of founding it and then of ongoing crisis mapping? What is that like? I am part of a cohort of a generation of Filipino map makers. We care for each other because we care for the same things too. And some of us map, let's say, mental health facilities. Some of us map places where you can get HIV treatment. Or some of us do the very hard calculations about where the typhoon should go and which areas would get affected. So I co-founded it with a few friends because we noticed that through the years, we needed an organization that will take care of the map makers. I've been doing crisis mapping for a while now. I started with hazards and health, and then I went to disasters. And then there was a time in 2013 when the Philippines was hit by the strongest cyclone to make landfall in world history. That cyclone is called Super Typhoon Ayan, and the image of a whole city devastated overnight and houses were destroyed. And that was like my baptism of water. <laughs> Later, I went into mapping after, let's say, there's a battle, there's a war zone in the reconstruction. I'm also an urban planner and community worker. And over the years, I realized that there's a lack of support system for people like me. It's only recent that issues, for example, like mental health or post-traumatic syndrome disorder, which I have, are being discussed. It's like a silent killer for crisis responders. We deliver this information and hopefully make a change, but it also leaves the information workers very burnt out, very exhausted. And when the pandemic happened, I wanted to make sure that when we respond, someone will be there for the people who care. It's more of a caring collective, a support collective. So when people ask, hey, where are the maps? What are the maps of the Ministry of Mapping? Well, these are being done by the members of our collective because at the end of the day, mapping is both social and technical. And the research about 
mapping has been on more of the technical side, but people make it happen. And I've noticed that in my international collaborations, it's really just the maps that matter. And it's very dehumanizing too. And in my culture, the people are more important than the maps and the mapping. It's also a kind of an accountability group. So let's say we're going to start a mapping project or do something like workshop. People comment, okay, maybe how about this aspect or this aspect? And then we help improve each other. I also realized that for such problematic patterns about racism and sexism to change, first we need to decenter the mainstream practices, habits. Some of them are ugly. And even myself, I had to decenter myself. So I want to make sure that it's not just about me. So I play support, I retreat, <laughs> try to help get some funding. At the end of the day, without the people, there'll be no mapping. Hence the Ministry of Mapping. <laughs> yeah, everyone always thinks of especially in science, like the outcomes of your work. That's what you're measured against. And especially in times of crises, like the pandemic, to do the important work we need to get done, those people need to be supported. Yeah, and it's been a tough year in general. I'll give a quick story. So last year, I went back to the Philippines for holidays. But then we were hit by a cyclone in the same places that were hit by Super Typhoon Haiyan. The houses were destroyed again. I made a map. Then went back to Manila. And then the next day, the volcano in our island exploded. (laughs) And we had to map evacuation centers. And then came here around mid-January. And then the pandemic happened. (laughs) And then last Sunday, we were hit by another cyclone, (laughs) by the strongest cyclone of 2020, which is stronger than Typhoon Haiyan in 2013. The Minister of Mapping, the the people I work with, these are my ride-or-die gang. (laughs) War zones, (laughs) pandemic, cyclone disasters. We're here for each other. Yeah, and it seems like that example of your year, which sounds crazy, seems like these crises are only going to keep happening, especially when it comes to like natural disasters. It's going to have to become normal because of things like climate change. Starting those structures now is necessary. We also bring a specific worldview here because think about it, and I'm borrowing ideas now, in the old literature about disaster risk reduction and crisis management. It was something like there are stable times, like stable, 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 and then there's a crisis. And then stable, 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 and then there's a crisis, there's a war, whatever. But in our worldview, especially in the Pacific, we have cyclones, we live with volcanoes. Maybe this is what the Western academics have gotten wrong all along, that actually crises are the normal. And then we have relatively short periods of stability. It's very hard to accept, but if you live our lives at least for the past 500 years, if you add the colonization to that and the war, it's what's happening right now. And we need to deal with it together by having very caring and supporting and resilient social relationships. Because at the end of the day, organizations come and go and projects come and go. But in the case of me and my people I care about, the Ministry of Mapping, we're we're still here. So my last question for you is, what would be one big change you'd like to see come out of your research? The specific change I'm after is for the organizations and the leadership of mapping organizations to change. Because I think it matters who tells those stories about the mapping and who gets powerful due to the stories and the map making. Because for the past hundreds of years, people like us, our native and indigenous relatives all around the world have been disadvantaged by mapping. There's this quote by Jim Enoch of the Zuni nation near the Grand Canyon, he said, maps have caused so much trouble and we've lost 
more lands through mapping than to actual physical conflict. And if mapping was done to disempower millions of peoples around the world, how about let's use mapping to change that? And I argue that there's a higher chance of that happening in this age of climate extinction and ecological crisis for us to succeed in regenerating nature, for example, if native and indigenous peoples are leading the production of geographic knowledge. Let's follow natives and indigenous peoples, friends. Thank you so much for coming on. And thanks for listening. That's it for today. For more information or to ask a question about any of the ideas raised in this show, feel free to send UC Science a message by email, Facebook, or Instagram. Thanks for listening.